Hey everybody, welcome back to the second half of our discussion of Silent Hill. I return you to our conversation, already in progress. Um, which, again, the moment you start thinking about these people living in this nightmare world, which they believe it's a post-apocalypse, right? That's established in the next scene. That they think that an apocalypse has happened, they're the last people left alive, and they are responsible for, you know, keeping the darkness away. And so all these, we we're introduced to all these people, they just come running up the stairs of this church, which, as a Silent Hill fan, is very strange because one of the things about Silent Hill is that the town is deserted. Like, it's empty, right? It's just the people involved in the storytelling that's going on. So that was a little weird. I was like, eh, I don't know if that's necessary, but whatever. Again, we need people to kill at some point, so that's fine. Yeah, we have to have violence. Uh, and we, we can't do it to Rada Mitchell because, you know, she didn't have that writer in her contract or something. I don't know. And, and so, like, they all run in. And they're making it up the stairs. Uh, Rose becomes obsessed with questioning Dahlia as all this is happening and trying to get information out of her. So, like, it's getting dark. Sybil's freaking out. She's turning on her flashlight. And uh, they run up the stairs. And then we get... There are there are two truly, truly, maybe three, horrific moments in this movie. And this is one of them. So, Anna is trying to throw stones at Dahlia and she has this little smirk on her face. So we're supposed to hate her in that moment. And I don't think we're ever supposed to really like her as a character, period. But in that moment, we see that she's hanging back so she can throw a couple more rocks at Dahlia. Take that, Dahlia. And then uh, Pyramid Head materializes out of the ether behind her, right? So we've seen the world shift and like the nightmares, you know, sort of get peeled away or the nightmare get revealed as everything gets peeled away. But this time we actually see pyramid head form behind her. Like his skeleton begins to sort of come into shape. And we'd never seen anything like that before. In the that game. was an and interesting it's, take. And it's which a, it's I, an I interesting take. You know, it's a cool moment. And then, and he doesn't like get fully formed. We just kind of see the starting of it and you see the pyramid and you're like, Oh, okay. And so then um, they hear on a scream, Rose and Sybil have made it to the door. They turn around pyramid head, you know, ascends to the top of the stairs. He has Anna in one hand. He rips her clothes off, which is like, in and of itself. And then, he, again, the, the effects, the practical effects on this are fantastic. They are really well done. Very creepy. Very disturbing. Pyramid Head basically is holding her by her neck, by her hair, and he grabs the skin of her chest, twists it, and then just straight rips her skin off. Like, mm-hmm. 100%. Now, we don't really see the entirety of it, but the sound design is excellent. Enough. We see enough. <laughs> and and he he rips her skin off and then hurls it at the church door as they're closing it and, and splatters both Sybil and Rose with blood. It and makes so this a sound kinda like when you, you dump a big <laughs> casserole out. Yeah, it's like a splorch or you know. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's bad. I mean, like, and it it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like that's the thing. It, it's like you know the danger is coming, right? We need to get inside the church. That's the only way we'll be safe. Blah blah blah. But this is a huge escalation of violence for this movie. Like Pyramid Head, you know, we see a couple of the minor guys get eaten by the roaches, but it's really subdued. Like it's not that bad. 
but this is like, whoa, oh my gosh. Uh, it, you know, I, obviously, you know, if you've watched like Hellraiser movies and stuff, you've seen them, seen some things like this, but not quite like this. And it's it is a departure violent. from the pyramid head in the games too, mm-hmm. because he tends to be more of a herald of violence. Like violence is coming. You know that because I'm here, mm-hmm. but he doesn't inflict a lot of violence. Like not even really. the, the conflict that you have with him in the game, um, both times you fight pyramid head there's it's not it's not like that nobody's no skin no <laughs> no it's nothing like that again he's more of a harbinger right like you if he's there you know the violence is going to be visited upon you i mean towards the end of silent hill 2 he's not really that intimidating um of a figure and the final sequence you have with him is more of a puzzle it's like yeah. a puzzle sequence so um it's it, it's a departure for sure, but it's, it's violent. It's, it's visceral. It's terrifying. Uh, and if you've never seen anything sort of like that before, it is, it is truly one of those things that will stick in your brain for a while. Uh, so if you're just a horror person likes to see stuff you've never seen like that before, it's pretty effective. So they make it inside the church and we get our first sort of real dalliances with the cult. And, uh, of course the cult is led by Alice Krieger, uh, a My frequent, yeah, the board queen, and a, a frequenter of this type of film, right? Um, she plays a very specific kind of upright character that has this external righteousness and confidence, but yet has this evil inside, right? She's just it's that bone structure. So yeah, she has those really high cheekbones. Bone mm-hmm. It's very and scary. it's very severe, very scary. And so she plays Christabella. Um, and Christabella is the leader of the cult. She's the one keeping this ragtag group of humans alive through the post-apocalypse, uh, through prayer and sacrifice. And so she is, is leading them in prayer. Uh, she initially, one of the, I guess Anna's mom, like tries to get the, the women cast out as witches or something. And Christabella kind of calms everybody down. And the scene in itself, again, it's, it's very surface level culty type stuff. It's, it's, what you think of when you think of a crazy cult, right? There's really no depth to it. What they believe is never fully articulated. They believe in purity and keeping purity. And apparently the way you keep purity is by burning witches. That's how you keep purity. Um, So you got to burn burn a, yeah, you just got to burn a witch every once in a while to make sure your town's pure. Again, it's, it's not super articulated. I don't know if it matters that much, but it's, it's kind of a basic stab at, at puritanism as it would exist in the post-apocalypse and right it, it works for what it is it's not nearly as nuanced as something like the wicker man but no <laughs> no uh, none of that complexity uh in the visual design they're very they're wearing very puritanical outfits you know they're blue instead of black but whatever uh they kind of look like schoolgirl outfits alice krieger specifically she's got like the white collar and all the guys wear you know sort of like dark suit jackets that kind of thing um, and, and so they have a conversation, they talk a little bit, there's concern over them being witches. And then we get another sort of like, oh, here's the next place we need to go. And in this case, it's the hospital, right? Oh, you need to go to the hospital. That's where the demon lives. So if you want to find your daughter, or if you want to, you know, sort of figure all this out, you need to go talk to the demon. Nobody ever returns. You're probably going to die, but that's, that's where you need to go. And so after the darkness is dispelled, they, that's where they head. So they go to Alcamilla Hospital, get another very famous location from the games. Uh, it's in the first game, it's in the second game. Is it in the third game too? Yes. Yeah, so you go to the hospital a bunch in, in Silent Hill because dark, scary, dirty hospitals are terrifying. 
And so they go to Alcamilla and we get another map. I love these sequences. I shouldn't, but they're so great. Alice Krieger points to the map. She says, here's the map. Memorize the map or you'll get lost down there. And it's just fantastic. And it's straight up one of the maps from the Silent Hill yeah. games. Like note for note, room for room, everything. And and there's literally a scene where she points to the room where Les says, so they know where all this stuff is. They they know what's going on, but they just do nothing about it. So she points to the room and says, oh, she's right here. Just go find this room. Memorize the way. And, and then they get her in the elevator. And so they get her in the elevator. The elevator gets started to go down. And uh, Rodda Mitchell, Rose De Silva had dropped a locket, right, while they were what, during the scuffle in the church. And Krieger had found it. He says, oh, we've lived as scavengers for too long. Let me give this back to you. And as she hands it back, the locket opens. And, of course, it has Sharon's picture in it. But now we've started to see that Sharon is Alessa, right? Or Alessa is Sharon. They're the same. And and that's the, the connection that she has to the film. We've got Chris doing his parallel thing at the same time. He breaks into the uh, rec- the Hall of Records for this area and finds a picture of Alessa and what happened to her in a file submitted by Tucci or submitted by Gucci. So now we're starting to see the connections here. If, if you couldn't have figured it out, it's, it's all pretty basic stuff to be totally honest. But, uh, and then he tries to go to the orphanage that they adopted Sharon from, which was the Toluca Lake orphanage, which of course Toluca Lake, another famous location. That is the lake that Silent Hill, which the resort town exists is on. It's weird because it actually has a prison associated with it, not an orphanage. Right. The yeah. We knew of Toluca Lake prison. Hill is actually somewhere else. The witch house, right? Yeah, which I, which I we see in Silent Hill Four. Wanted them to do something for the witch house. I thought that would have been cool, but I kind of wonder if maybe the script hadn't been in production Probably. before Four actually came out. So they needed to create an orphanage, and they just kind of went with a name that people would know. And then by that time that Four came out, the script was set, and they couldn't really change it. But yeah, if, uh, in Silent Hill 4, you go to an orphanage because the serial killer that is harassing you, the who's dead and is coming, like his ghost is harassing <laughs> you. Serial killer harassing you. Yeah, this, this <laughs> I think dead. That should be the official description of the game. Dead Silent ghost. Silent is about a serial killer that harasses you. Exactly, it's a dead ghost of a. It's a. It's the ghost of a dead serial killer harassing a guy who lives in the apartment building that he used to live in. Uh, again, it's man, it's such a weird game. <laughs> gets better and better uh but you end up going he was why are you living in my house get out of my house i'm a dead serial killer ghost where's my my mom (laughs) it's oh god it's so crazy but you end up going he was an orphan and and you end up going to the orphanage in silent hill that he grew up at and and it's terrible he did horrible things there too and so yeah it would have been cool but you know again I, i imagine that the production process for this was well underway by the time that that game actually came out but but so um you know we're starting to see these connections now they take her to the hospital uh rose and Sybil get separated uh once they realize that rose and and uh, alessa are connected in some way they try to attack uh, rose goes into the elevator starts going down Sybil sort of rescuing gets a great line she turns uh turns around Lori holden uh knows that she's about to get beaten up because there's like five or six of these guys and um, she turns and says, uh, just turns and says, find her, right? Like, find her. And, and it's a great an moment. Awesome, like, bicep moment where she yanks the, the pipe out of the, the, pipe out of the door, door that's holding it open. Like, she's and, a badass. 
Yeah, it's a great moment. And then she's like holding them off with the gun and then she fires it and she's out of bullets, which we knew, but they didn't know. Uh, so she gets beaten up badly. And again, there's a lot of really good uh, special effects as they are, are making her look beaten because uh, she gets beaten with pipes, which I guess another Silent Hill reference. You know, one of the first weapons you find is a rusty pipe. And uh, so Rose goes down and then we get, you know, another sequence that is fan service basically, but it's really good. Uh, another piece of evidence that Gons is, is very capable of, of taking and translating visual information. Cause in a video game, you can kind of get away with whatever, right? Like there are, there are no rules. It's like writing a story, right? You don't have any restrictions. You can do whatever you want. But actually turning that into something real is an entirely different story. And so what we get is the nurses, right? So one of the famous, iconic enemies of the Silent Hill franchise, if you don't know, are nurses, right? Because they heavily involve hospitals. Alessa is, as a character, has been in a hospital for most of her life. So she's interacted with nurses. Nurses occupy her nightmares. Three of the games involve serious <clears throat> medical trauma. Right, you know, and, and sort of the, the surrounding pieces of that get worked into these nightmare worlds. And so one of them are nurses, right? And so the nurses in Silent Hill uh, respond to light, right? So when your flashlight is on, they will move towards it and attack you. If you turn your flashlight off, they will generally leave you alone and stand still. So there are several sequences in several of the games where basically the game is telling you, turn your flashlight off, right? Sacrifice your ability to see and move through this space, or else you're going to get killed. And so it's it's a really cool thing. The enemy type is great. A lot of the Silent Hill enemies move in these very non-traditional ways, right? They don't move like, quote-unquote, real people, right? They jerk, and they move, and they have spastic limb movements all over the place. And so translating that to the film screen is incredibly difficult. So what Gans did is he hired a bunch of professional dancers, and uh, the same guy that did Pyramid Head and, and played Colin, he, they choreographed out the nurses. And there's a huge group of them. I'd, I want to say like 10 or 12 of them all standing in this hallway. Rada Mitchell approaches. She has her light shining on them. They all start moving and, and herking and jerking and, and, and approaching her. She figures out that the light is triggering it. She turns it off and starts walking through them. And it's a fantastic sequence. It, like, that was really good. Because it, it, it replicates so good. how you feel in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's really good. It's tense from the moment that it starts. It's really effective. Um, I was sitting and, and watching it. My wife had kind of sat down and we were eating a little something just as I was going through it. And that sequence started and she's like, oh boy, I'm got okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, that's enough for me. Thank you very much. Uh, and it wasn't even to the, the difficult part. I mean, she walked, she came back and watched through it. But um, it's just immediately you're like, whoa, uh-uh. Nope, 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 nope. And it's it's super good. So she starts walking through them. One of them reacts just to the movement, right, to her presence, and starts uh, slashing just at random. And she slices one of the other nurses, and then it triggers this, like all of the nurses start attacking each other. And it's, it's just super good. There's some great gore effects, some really good blood effects. Great sound. Good sound. Very, very yeah, good very sound. good sound. Uh, and then she just sets the flashlight down in front of them and then runs off, which, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just a good sequence. It's really well shot, really tense, very good. The bad thing about this, this movie that I've, I'm realizing as I'm talking it out is every good sequence like that seems to be followed up by a mediocre one, as this one is followed sure. up by a mediocre one. <laughs> yeah, um, 
so they we move then into to Alessa's room. And so one of the things that's revealed in Silent Hill One, because uh, this sequence is is basically straight out of the first game, like this this goal, if you want to call it that, is that Alessa, like the actual Alessa who was burned in the fire thirty years ago, is still alive, right? Like she is still in some capacity in this place, still alive, and she's. Uh, in the video game, she's wrapped in bandages. You kind of find her and her spirits. And, and, you know, in the games, it's pretty heavily implied that she's just psychic. She's just telepathic, right? And so she was interpreted as a witch because she had abilities. But now those abilities have been enhanced by the, the nightmare, if you will. And so we walk into Alessa's room. It is already in its nightmare form, right? Even though we haven't heard a siren, it's already nightmarish. And uh, Lisa, the nurse, is there, another, you know, of the five or six characters in the original Silent Hill, she is one of them. And I, I actually thought that was really good. So when Rose walks in, uh, Lisa, you know, who was Alessa's nurse when she was originally injured, she wears this bright red nurse's outfit, which is straight from the game, long blonde hair down the back. And she refuses to show her face to Rose, right? She just maintains, just only lets her look at her back. She's constantly shifting around. And the, the little nightmare, Alessa is there and kind of dancing around and stuff, you know, bad child acting, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. And and then we get basically the, the major exposition dump of the film, right? Here is what is going on. And in essence, it's just, it's a Wonder Years style flashback, right? It's yeah. shot badly with, uh, you know, like a eight millimeter or 16 millimeter camera. And, so I was and, question, why do that? Because who's filming? Right. Why would well, someone be making a home movie? Why somebody making a home movie? movie. <laughs> uh, but we are, we are basically shown that uh, Alessa was sort of cast out of the society. That's where we saw the, the little girls taunting her at the school. She was identified as a quote-unquote witch. She had to be burned to be pure. We find out that Christabella and Dahlia are sisters. And that Christabella told Dahlia that they were... I guess she somehow convinced her that they weren't going to kill her or that the purification ritual wouldn't involve her death, Alessa's death. I, I don't know. It's, it, it's unclear, but basically they, they take the girl away. They run their ritual. They're burning her over a pyre inside of inside. I don't know why. Yeah. Like, why would you not do this outside? That doesn't make any sense. Well, we don't um, want our culty activities to get spied upon. Right. But exactly what happens. Cause exactly. The police busted. The police bust in. Um, and so they're they're burning her, and uh, it tips over, right? Uh, like it tips over, knocks over the coals that they're they're roasting her over, and starts the fire, presumably that eventually burns the entire silent, town of Silent Hill down or or sets off the coal fire that triggers the the town's evacuation. So we find out that uh, Gucci was the beat cop. You know, he wasn't the detective. He was the beat cop that uh, Dahlia called the police to try and rescue Alessa. He was the beat cop that found the girl, pulled her off the pyre, got her into the ambulance, and, and saved her life, ostensibly. And and then we sort of get a, a flash forward through all of Alessa's experiences. She was in the hospital for weeks and weeks and months and months. And uh, the darkness came to her after she she did something to Lisa with she kind of just looks at her, but I guess it's some sort of, I don't know, psychic wounding. That's kind it's of like unclear. She, just, she takes out, you know, all of her anger on her nurse just for no reason. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, something along those lines, which we see the results of that here in a sec. But, um, you know, in essence, the the entire town of Silent Hill, the entire fire that started was all because this cult tried to kill Alessa. They failed. And then I guess either at that moment or when Alessa was granted her powers by the darkness or her abilities by the darkness, she sucked everyone into her nightmare, right? Uh, They're all in Alessa's dream. And the foggy Silent Hill that Rose has been running around is Alessa's dream. And when she turns it to the nightmare, it's because she's trying to take the cult members that live inside of her dream, which are apparently safe if they're in the church when that happens. I guess she can't get to them there. The darkness can't get to them there because of their faith. Again. What? Oh. <laughs> All right. Sure. Their fake faith inside of a dream after their death is keeping them alive inside the dream. Okay, sure. All right, Roger Avery, you've got me. Um, and so the darkness makes a deal with Rada Mitchell, with Rose. Get me inside the church. If you get me inside the church, everything will be fine. Alessa will get her revenge. That's all she wants. And this will all be over. Right. And so she then we get this really weird, like mothery womb moment. Like the, the dark little girl grabs her and hugs her close. And then she gets kind of sucked into her stomach mm-hmm. again. Uh, you know, there's a lot of mother imagery in this movie. Um, and, and there's another major one coming at the end that is really gross. Um, but it just, it's, it's very strange. It feels weird. Like what, why would you do that? But whatever. Uh, so Rose agrees, says, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do this. I don't care about any of these people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if Christabella survives. I don't, she's terrible. Uh, so she agrees and, and then she's like, well, what do I have to do? She says, just tell them the truth. Right. Which leads to, uh, it sounds like I'm more down on this movie than I am, but this last speech that Rada Mitchell delivers in this movie is awful. It is the worst. And it's not just delivery. The delivery is not good, but the speech itself is bad. It's like the first draft of the speech that you want to give to change the hearts and minds of the people. And then you just kind of forgot to keep working on it. Yeah. You didn't bring your notes. You you know, you kind of, you know, didn't practice beforehand. Uh, But so now everything comes to a head. We, we cut from that to uh, the unfortunate end of Sybil Bennett. Right. So the people are getting ready for a good old fashioned witch burn and they find the girl. Right. So Rose has spent the entire movie looking for Sharon. Right. The only times that as a character, she speaks confidently or when she says, I've got to find my daughter. Right. Everything else is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. But when she talks about, I got to find Sharon, I've got to find Sharon. It's her driving goal, just like the video game. And we find out that Sharon has been staying with Dahlia this entire time. Just chilling out in Dahlia's apartment somewhere in Silent Hill. And Dahlia, because Sharon looks like Alessa, had just been hiding her and keeping her safe. And again, it comes out of left field like, wait, what? Huh? And it doesn't make any sense. Like, why do we see Dahlia on the street doing things and interacting with Rada Mitchell when Mm. she already has her little girl Knowing full well, right. It's just that that was weird. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. And she kind of has a, an 80-yard line over the sequence where the cult shows up to take the little girl uh, that, you know, I had to protect her. She's mine. You know, like, you know, this idea that she's getting her daughter back or, or something. 
we're also oh, we're also told that Sharon is the good part of Alessa, like the good piece of her. They took that piece and then made it into a baby and gave it to the orphanage to be adopted. Keep it, <laughs> keep it safe. Because you, the best way to keep a baby safe is to put it into the American adoption system. <laughs> That's right. The system is where all the kids are safe. Growing up in an orphanage and being sent off to an adopted family, that's the way to keep a baby safe. Um, but anyway, so we get told that too, and it's it's ridiculous. But it, the, ostensibly, that's what happened in the game as well. Like, we kind of get a sequence that shows, you know, that's kind of what took place. But anyway, uh, so they've, they've kidnapped Sharon. They've got her at uh, the church. They've got Sybil at the church, and they are they're getting ready for a good old-fashioned witch burning. But it's a much more complicated. It's not like the stake in the middle of the fire. They have this elaborate ladder system set up on both sides with, like, pulleys and rigs to lower them over the fire on the ladder and burn them they're, that they're way and then just retract them. Yeah, it's, it's like a spit roast thing. So... Uh, so basically the, the, you know, Christabella riles the cult up, got to burn the witches, got to make pure, got to keep the world safe, blah, blah, blah. And then they, they spit roast Sybil and it is horrifying. It's it's awful. It's actually one of the scenes where I, I don't always watch the whole thing because I'm like, that's just, I don't want to see that today. It's, it's rough, man. Cause it does, the camera doesn't move. It doesn't cut. It stays right on it. There is some CG applied over her face to imply the dermal layers being you know, burned away. Um, that you know is a little hit, little hitchy by modern standards, but it's still an effective technique. And the camera does not move. Like Gons makes no effort to to give us any relief whatsoever. Like once she starts burning, she is burning. Uh, and and you know, Holden does a good job too. It's hard. I really like the implication that I and this is completely separate from the games. But the implication that the Christian cult was more dangerous than anything evil or demonic that was in Silent Hill. Like, Silent Hill was actually just run by a little girl's nightmare, and these people are actually monsters. Right, and I think that that really comes through. Like in the game, it's kind of there, you know, that the you know, the humans were the real monsters, but here, like that's exactly what it is. Like we are meant to side with the demon that's trying to murder everyone. Like we're supposed to be like, yeah, you go, demon. Nice job. Well and that done. Is kind of the one saving grace after we have that terrible speech from Rada Mitchell. The next part is enough to undo that for me. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like, we're really, you can tell, like, the, you know, the third act of a film is always problematic because you have to get all of the chess pieces into position before you can make your final gambit. And that's really what's happening here. They have obviously got this last sequence. They know what they want to do. But they have to get everybody in here and they have to get this thing fired off. So uh, Sybil Bennett dies, burns. They're getting ready to burn the little girl. Rada Mitchell kicks the door open, like quite literally, like like the graduate, just like, whoa, like I'm here. And they turn on her. They start calling her a witch, which is sort of Monty Python-esque. It's, it's really, <laughs> burn her, it's a witch. More burn, witches. More witches. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, and uh, she starts this speech, right? And she's, she's doing what she's been told, right? She's trying to reveal to them that this isn't the real world. There was no apocalypse. You're all just being kept alive inside this dream. This needs to end. You know, Christabel is lying to you. All this different stuff. But it just is, it is 
it bring it, one the whatever momentum the film is trying to build at this point that speech brings it down to nothing right it's just a hard stop pretty screech. much any time you have a, a a character stop and give a speech there's got to be a really really good reason for everyone to stand around and listen Right. It has to be like an Independence Day moment where, yes, all these people will stand around and listen to this speech. Right. But this didn't feel like that. No, it just, it, it, it's, it serves a bit of exposition, but one, nobody's listening to her. Nobody believes her, right? There's nobody in the crowd that goes like, oh, huh. You're right. <laughs> we shouldn't burn the witches. Thanks, strange outsider that I've had 40 seconds of interaction with. I'm glad we let, we had this conversation. Like, that's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. So really what it becomes is a vessel for, I'm guessing, Roger Avery to express his disdain and distaste for, you know, the cult-like behavior, right? Which we've just seen the, the ultimate culmination of that, you know, Sybil Bennett, her last line is... Uh, are you, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> right? Like it's, it's a very, again, very naturalistic line. It's a line that, that you would expect to hear when someone is about to be burned alive. Like, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? And that's a more effective, a more effective and, speech than, than what she ends up saying, which takes way longer and has very little effect. And it probably would have been even more powerful, but you know, go figure a writer wouldn't want to give up their moment to have a monologue. Right. They put together. But it would have been more powerful if she was like, what is wrong with you people? And then the final act of violence begins. Right. Um, I mean, because Sybil actually gets right before Sybil dies. It's a super quiet line. Uh, Like I had to I went back and rewound it and turned it up to hear it. But like the last thing she says, there's that pullout shot and she's actually like burning and on fire. And she like basically like utters like you're in your own hell. Right. And I was like, dude, that's all you got to say. Like, that's that's it. Like, you don't need Rada Mitchell to say anything. It's just, you're in your own hell. Rada Mitchell bursts in, basically says the same thing. You're in your own hell. Wake up and get to the get to the final act. Like, that's really all I have to do. But so the whole speech is her, like, moving closer and closer to the center, like the altar where the fire is, to confront Christabella. Right, because Christabella is in the middle and she's you know coordinating all of this, because um, and again like it's one of those things the movie is not good about establishing character goals. Like what am I supposed to? What is the character supposed to be doing in this moment? Because ultimately, what Rada Mitchell needs to have happen is she needs to get injured so that the darkness can come out of her. But it's never established that she needs to get hurt or stabbed or something like. Can yeah. she just vomit it up? Like, we don't really know because the, the little girl doesn't ever say, here's what you have to do inside the church to free me. She's not like, here's the plan. Yeah, the plan <laughs> is this, you know. I love it when the plans comes together and she puts a cigar in her mouth or something. <laughs> it's like, no. So she gets stabbed by Christabella in a bad CG stab. And there are a couple of bad CG stab- stabs right at the end of this movie. But she gets stabbed, she begins bleeding, and then like this black stuff the demon begins pouring out of her and fills the sort of center altar where their main, you know, cult symbol is. And it fills it up and, and then uh, it opens and, and we see that long, you know, sort of pit leading down into the, the mechanical nightmare works of, of Silent Hill. Right. And it mirrors the very first thing that we saw back when Sharon was standing on the edge of the cliff at the very beginning of the movie. 
but rising up from that is Alessa in her hospital bed, right? And so she's being pulled up on barbed wire. The demon is crawling up behind her in sort of this bad, you know, CG double. And Alessa is, is coming into the church for her revenge. Everybody starts freaking out, screaming, trying to get out the door. But, of course, everything's locked up. And, uh, you know, Alessa, this never happens in the game, right? Like, we, Alessa, yeah. the only time we... <laughs> I don't think it would have been released if this no. happened in the game. No, not at all. So at the end of the, the first Silent Hill, Alessa does show up, but she's, like, in a wheelchair and she's still in bandages. But in this, Alessa's in her, her bed, but she's in her, her older form, which we've sort of glimpsed in, in a couple of previous scenes. And she's rising up on barbed wire. She ascends to the middle of it, which is very reminiscent of the final boss of Silent Hill 2, right? James's wife, because yeah. she's in, in a similar thing. She's kind of like trapped in her hospital bed. She's strapped down, and she's, you know, James has to fight her ostensibly to deal with his own guilt. So it's really, from a design standpoint, it's very reminiscent of that. But so she rises up and, and she destroys everyone in this place, right? Um, and Christabella gets it the worst. And, and this is another very like, hmm. I don't want to say almost too far because there, I mean, there really is no limit to what you can do in a movie like this. But um, at the same time, it's, it's rough, Right, even as, as being the main villain of the film, so Christabella gets gets. Uh, she takes barbed wire to the Yahoo. <laughs> yeah, she gets lifted up by the barbed wire. Uh, she says, "Oh Lord, keep me pure." Which at this point right. we haven't, we don't have any establishment that she's like a, a, a nun or something, but I guess maybe. Uh, Alessa grabs the barbed wire, spreads her legs, and then rams barbed wire through her groin. Right, and and then and, smiles. And is very happy about it. Like, she is just enjoying herself tremendously. We get and that fabulous little scene of Demon Alessa dancing. In dancing the underneath the down. blood. Uh, you know, just a really great moment that the whole family can enjoy. It's, it's like, it felt like the movie went off the rails. Yeah, where I it, was so it does. Happy, but I was yeah. like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. This is great. It makes no sense. Like, again, it, it's a ratcheting up of the violence and the visual imagery of the film in a way that that is apropos of nothing. Like nothing is I mean, the, the burning of Sybil Bennett is bad enough. Like that is awful. But then this is like, whoa, dude, like that is cringy and uncomfortable. And again, if you're a horror fan, if you like seeing things that you've probably never seen in a movie before, you've got, you got something, right? If Here you go. Seen someone take barbed wire in the Yahoo because Silent Hill is the movie. That's the movie for you. So they, you know, and, and she proceeds to, to murder everyone, right? At the end, uh, we kind of get a like little Indiana Jones reference. Rada Mitchell grabs Sharon, rescues her off the ladder or whatever that, that she was on. Dude gets ripped in half right in front of her. Right, like gets gets wrapped in barbed wire and then literally torn in half. <laughs> I so I guess Christoph Gans was enjoying sort of just splattering Rada Mitchell with blood because there are like four scenes at the end of this movie where she's just standing and she just gets a shot of blood to the face. Um, um, but I think he uses some of that to do like her her wardrobe changes. Yeah, because her her the color of her wardrobe sort of coincides with. Strangely, there's so much detail put into that. That her wardrobe coincides with whatever the, the current mission is that mm -hmm. she has. Um, 
And because she's there to like rain down destruction, she's like blood red. She's blood red at the end. Yeah. And you can tell that her sweater has changed, but they justify it by having her sort of covered in blood. But at the end of the, at the beginning of the movie, her shirt's in like a pale pink. She's got like a gray sweater on. Uh, but by the end of it, she's just red, right? She's, she's the, the, the bringer of all destruction. So she grabs the girl, puts her in the corner, covers her eyes, says, don't look, honey, don't look. The girl looks, of course. And the little demon girl, like, it's it's implied that it goes inside of her in some way. They rejoin. That's right. They become, the, the good part and the bad part come together again. And so that's it, right? Um, Sharon goes back to her 2006 Jeep Liberty. Uh, Which starts? It starts up now. Everything's fine. The girl goes to sleep in the back, sucking her thumb, which again is like, all right. I absolutely adore. She starts up the Jeep and then turns around, and the road that was previously completely gone just magically materializes. Appears. Yeah. And and whereas she was questioning everything, she's been the one saying, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Now that she has her daughter, she's like, huh, this seems right to me. <laughs> everything's fine now. Uh, the world's still really foggy, and there's nobody here, but everything's fine. And so she drives home, and we get another little parallel sequence. We pick back up with Chris again, who's been escorted, sort of, I guess, to the county line or something. And they say, like, you know, head on home, Mr. De Silva. You ain't got nothing here to find. And they send him on his way, um, and uh, he goes home. And, and then we, we sort of get a nice little parallel sequence. Again, the, the film is, is not leaving us any ambiguity about what has happened here. Um, so Chris is getting out of the shower, and, and it's bright, and it's sunny, and their house is kind of full of light. And Rose and Sharon are getting home at the same time, but everything's gray and cloudy and Silent Hill looking. Uh, Chris runs downstairs. The door's been opened. Oh, he's, well, he's taking a nap. He lays down on the couch, takes a nap. And then Rose is sitting there in the chair across from him, looking very lovingly at the couch for some she reason. she kind of has this strange, almost trance-like. Yeah, she looks completely out of it. Right, like n- no real idea of what's going on around her uh, in a strange way. Um, and Sharon kind of walks off down the room. Uh, Chris Looking wakes very up. Very suspicious. Yeah, like she's off to do some bad, bad shit for sure. <laughs> and so Chris wakes up, goes downstairs. The door is open for no reason. He looks outside, and then the last shot of the film is rain again. So just to make sure that you understand, this is not fog. This is rain. And then we get like this this bush out in front of the house. That's the last shot of the movie. Is we pan over and there's a bush getting rained on, uh, which again I think is probably Gans, you know, trying to say something about like new life, new start, that kind of thing. But it's not right. It's it's a it's a dodge. It's a joke because uh, nothing has changed. Right? She's still trapped. the The world of Silent Hill is is still there. Alessa's nightmare has not ended. Right. So it, all she did was eliminate the enemies that the little evil child had. Right now, now Alessa and and the little evil child are free, basically. Like they can wreak havoc elsewhere. Which there is a sequel to this film. Um, I don't know if we need to talk about it because it's it, again, there's nothing masterful about it. It's it's quite the failure. Uh, but it does a, a attempt to pick up this thread. They got Sean Bean back. <clears throat> don't yeah. ask me how. Uh, but he's he's he in it for in a little vision. bit. Yeah, he does, and he's he's quite good. Um, but there is a sequel to this, uh, Silent Hill Revelation. It came out during the, the 3D horror revolution, so it's got tons of little stuff flying at your face and screen, uh, and pulls from some more imagery from Silent Hill 3, primarily, a little bit from Silent Hill 4, <clears throat> um, and then some custom stuff. Carrie Ann Moss is in it. 
yeah. go fi- go figure. Um, you know, but which I I always thought that because uh, Carrie Ann Moss plays another character from the third game, um, Claudia. Fish, uh, <laughs> what's her name? Uh, Claudia, I think. Claudia, Claudia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she plays Claudia. I always thought that uh, Christabella was sort of the stand-in for the Claudia character. Absolutely. The hyper-religious, you know, mm-hmm. dressed in the sort of puritanical, you know, kit. Um, so I was, I thought it was weird in the sequel when they then brought that character in. I was like, well, didn't they already kind of do that? <laughs> do we really want to have another one of those? Right, yeah. No, I think, I think that's true. I think Christabella was intended to be that, that character one way or the other uh, in the film, and it just doesn't. Um, and it's they weird. just kind of went their own direction. Revelation was technically a little bit truer to game events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Especially but Silent it was Hill Three. Worse movie. Yeah, and I, I guess that's something you know. As you know, that, that's basically the the extended and detailed summary of the film. But um, I, one thing that I remember reading a lot about and you know interacting with people online and, and some of my my friend group about this film when it came out was that it wasn't enough like the games, right? They wanted more game stuff in the movie, uh, even though we got a lot, like a lot. Uh, I mean, some people would even say this movie has so much and it, it could be considered a fault. But the third movie goes way deeper into the the imagery and the story and the, the basic progression of the third game specifically. And to its detriment, like uh, I've always, you know, I understand the argument that if I go to see a Silent Hill movie, I want to see what I know, right? I, I, I like Silent Hill. I want to see Silent Hill stuff and I, I want to interact with it. But I think there, there's always been this feeling in Hollywood that you can't just retell a video game's story again, right? You've got to do something else with it. And so I'm sure Gans, that was, that was one of his directives was to tell a story that had all of these elements that people would recognize, but yet not necessarily be the same because that's the Resident Evil formula. I do too. Yeah. I mean, that's what Resident Evil did to great success. There is nothing about the story of the original Resident Evil movie that has anything to do with the original Resident Evil games. And by the end of the Resident Evil franchise, it gets so far up its own butt trying to be like the video games that they become sort of a joke. Like they were always a, a bit of a joke, but by the end they are super a joke. Like by the by the end, and you've got Jill Valentine wearing like the weird mind controlled spider jewel on her chest from Resident yeah. Evil Five. It's like, no, come on, guys, jeez. Um, and and unfortunately, it feels like Revelation in one movie went that way, right? Whereas this one was trying to do its own thing, tell its own story. And then Resident Evil Revelation or Silent Hill Revelation was like, no, we're going to go all in. Uh, we're just going to basically retell the story of three, but at the end, we're going to have a new demon monster that you've never seen before that she's going to fight. And because of be that, cool. I feel like the original Silent Hill film hangs better with the games. It just it fits more gracefully in the mythos because mm-hmm. it is doing its own thing. Yeah, you can you can feasibly sort of place this in the Silent Hill universe without having to say, well, it's just Silent Hill 1. Right? Yeah. It's, it's another story, very similar story, sure, but another story. I, su- I suppose in the end that's why I do think it's a, a movie that's worth 
watching. I mean, as we come around to like after talking about all the bad stuff in this movie, we do have to talk about what we like. Um, I like that it it borrowed elements without just kind of lifting them wholesale. Like it lifted some characters, it lifted some ideas, <clears throat> but it still departed enough that I was able to enjoy it without always knowing what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was an element of surprise. You didn't really know what they were going to do. Like Whereas Revelation, I didn't have that at all. I kind of had that movie pegged, mm-hmm. timed. <laughs> like, I knew when was something was going to happen. It yeah, just, I mean, it yeah. didn't work. Yeah, and, and I agree. Uh, I It's a weird line to walk, right? Because uh, the same thing kind of happens with any adaptation, right? Even when you're adapting a book, right? You've got to be like, well, do we want to change this? Do we want to change that? Um, the new, uh, Artemis Fowl adaptation came out on Disney plus this week. I watched that with the kids and, and I, I am not an Artemis Fowl fan. Like I, I know the series, I, I know the basic thrust of the story just based on no, interactions I've had with other people. Yeah. Um, but like they radically changed that story radically. And a lot of people are really upset about it. I'm like, well, I kind of understand. Right. I mean, that story has been around now for 15, 20 years. If you're going to give it to a whole new audience, Harry Potter moment. I mean, it's oh, not for sure. Get the yeah. Harry Potter treatment. No, 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 no. Yeah, it absolutely did. So, you know, I I kind of get it, and and I like Silent Hill for what it is. Like, I don't feel like I needed more Silent Hill stuff, or or Harry Mason had to be the protagonist of the the story for it to work. You know, if anything, I I would have preferred them take the Silent Hill, the full Silent Hill two approach. And just tell an all-new story yeah. with Silent Hill as the backdrop, right? And if you want to bring in the nurses, you know, you want to bring in Pyramid Head, fine, whatever, do what you're going to do. But, you know, not even necessarily structured around a parent looking for their lost child. You know, maybe, you know, a couple goes there to uh, vacation and, you know, something goes wrong. Like any of the, Anything could work. And that's one of the things about the Silent Hill franchise that I feel has always been underexploited is that they set up a framework where literally you can do anything, right? As long as there is trauma in the story, as long as there are people wrestling with pain that Silent Hill can then exploit, you're good. Like you can do anything. And, and it just feels like missed opportunity, you know, that they could have sort of pushed it even further. But again, fans probably would have revolted. So it's, it's a really weird line. Uh, all right, so let's kind of move into our, our sort of last bit here. We're talking about and discussing some elements. Uh, I do want to talk a bit about the director of this film, Christoph Gans. Uh, huge fan of his work. Uh, he's He has not directed a ton of films. He is not extremely prolific, but the films he has made are really good. Um, he first came to prominence. I first came to hear about him. He did a adaptation of a famous manga and uh, anime series called Crying Freeman, about an assassin who cries when he kills, um, starring Mark DeCascos, uh, establishing a... He is great. Uh, Mark DeCascos is fantastic. Uh, if you don't know who Mark DeCascos is, uh, he was on Iron Chef. Uh, he played, yeah, uh, He played that role for a long time. Is he still doing it? Is that still a thing? I don't even know. I guess not. Yeah, I don't think the show's on anymore, but maybe we, I don't have cable. I, I couldn't tell you. But um, so we did that for years. Um, he did a Brazilian jiu jitsu 
or Capoeira, that's what it was, a Capoeira film back in the late 80s called Only the Strong. He's basically one of those dudes that has always been right on the cusp of action movie stardom and has never quite crossed that line. Uh, Extremely physically adept. Uh, He also played Zero in John Wick 3. Um, But Crying Freeman was was one of Gonzo's early films. Dacascos was the star. He did fantastic. Uh, But then Gonz made a movie that we'll probably end up talking on about on this show, even though it was a success, right? It, it made money. It was internationally, you know, very, you know, it did well, not super well, but well enough. But the failure of that film was that no one has seen it. Yeah. Uh, and no one knows it exists. And that is brotherhood of the wolf. Uh, and brotherhood of the wolf is an epic story. It, it is very long about a series of attacks based on a, a, a real series of events or semi-real. It goes in a direction that is not real, but based on a real series of events, a series of attacks that were believed to be attributed to a werewolf or some kind of large animal uh, in the French countryside and the king's naturalist, right? His, his royal uh, animal documenter comes to the town to try and figure out what's going on. And he has a Native American with him named Mani, who is played again by Mark Dacascos. And uh, basically, an ex- it's an excuse for Gons to do sweet, sweet ninja flips. In, in the seventh- is so cool in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like sweet ninja flips in 17th century France. It's, it's great. And uh, just the costuming is so good. Yeah, it's so good, it man. gorgeous. Uh, Vincent Castle in a fairly early role, uh, at least in terms of audiences where people in America would have seen him. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. Like brother of the wolf is fantastic. So Gans is, is most of the films he's made have been very, very, very good. And, uh, Silent Hill was his, his next one after that. And visually he's, a, he's very stylish. He has a really, really great sense of visual composition, really good use of camera movement. Um, you know, so I, I can't speak highly enough of Gans as a director and that is evident in this movie. It is a good movie just to watch, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. Very purposeful camera movements. I like that the mm-hmm. camera doesn't just kind of bob around like it does in most modern films now where it right. seems like the yeah. camera is just a bystander. Yeah. It's, there's almost nothing handheld in this movie. Yeah. Uh, like no, maybe is, two shots. It's, this is it's all locked down. very intentional. Um, which... I, I just read this. Apparently, he wants to do another Silent Hill film. There have been a couple Fatal floating on his IMDb film? page. The, the Fatal Frame one I had known about. He's been trying to get that off the ground forever, and I imagine it's just rights issues. As but of January 2020, he's still working on it. Yeah, and, and I've, I've heard he's wanted to come back to the Silent Hill franchise because the franchise has made money. Even Revelations made a bit, a bit of money, but it's it, only because its budget was incredibly low. So, I mean, like, it's it's not a dead franchise in terms of Hollywood. Hollywood is, is game to make more, but it's definitely going to take the right budget, the right script at the right time before people do it. If you were a smart person, he would, uh, he would get that Daryl and make Silent Hills into a movie because we'll never get that as a game. Yeah, we're never going to get it as a game. So you might, if, if there was work done on that and you can get Kojima involved to hand over that stuff, maybe get Guillermo del Toro on as producer, do it. No, do Del Toro it. will do it. He's not busy. Yeah, no, he doesn't have anything going on. He just um, gets attached to projects and then tossed aside. That's right. Yeah, he just loves to say, I'm making a thing and then not make it. Well, people come to him and they're like, will you make this weird movie? And he's like, well, sure. And then they put I it love on Twitter weird movies. and then they're like, now someone else is making it. We don't <laughs> want it. You can make The Hobbit. No, you can't. 
Yeah, we've decided we need Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson's the only one that can direct a Lord of the Rings movie. Are you an idiot, sir? Uh, So let's talk a bit about the characters because they are problematic. Um, They're built from archetypal, you know, series regulars. Rose De Silva, despite being the mother, is is still basically given the role of Harry Mason from game the first game, yeah. uh, even though they split it with Chris De Silva a bit and sort of his investigations. Um, uh, Bennett, uh, Sybil Bennett, is is a cop, right? You know, she's just kind of there in the game to serve as a bit of exposition. She's the one that gives you a gun. Um, you know, so there's there's not a ton going on with her character in the games, other than she's a bit she's heroic and she's she's trying to do the right thing. But you know, there's not much more there here. Uh, I think what's what's done is handled well. The, the acting in this film across the board is problematic at best. Some people are really swinging for the fences. Sean Bean is fine with what he's given. Uh, Kim Coates is is probably the best in this movie. Uh, I'd say it's just in terms of his overall performance, his his uh, his carriage, right? The way he sort of presents himself is very uniform across his performance, where there's a lot of scattershot stuff going on elsewhere. Alice Krieger is fine, but again, her her only real direction is to stand there, look menacing, and deliver sort of vaguely prayerful Be stuff. Be the Borg queen, but less sexy. Exactly. You know, <laughs> Jean Luc Picard is not going to scream at you, so everything will be fine. Um, you know, so I, I would say the characters. There's nobody. There are no characters in this movie that you're going to leave it going like, "Wow, I really loved them." Like it's just not going to happen, and that's sad. You know, because I think that. Silent Hill has had really compelling characters in its series. Uh, you know, Heather Mason, obviously in Silent Hill 3, they tried to do her in Revelations, doesn't really work, but mm-hmm. she's a good character. Um, and then, of course, James Sunderland from Silent Hill 2 is a very well-rendered character, even despite the limitations of you know video game design in the early 2000s. So I, I think it's kind of sad that none of the characters really hit or land. Uh, again, they're not bad. Most of their stuff is watchable. Their dialogue is delivered. But, in, it, you know, that's about it. It feels like there's there are some good performances with the material they had. Mm-hmm. Like, there are genuine moments where I'm like, that's nice. Like, they did a, that was a nice scene or that was, that was a nice line. But overall, I think the weakness is in the script itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, this feels like a movie that the screenplay was just never fully formed. Right. Maybe the the beats of it were, maybe the structure of it was, but the the moment to moment interactions and scenes never really fleshed out well. I mean, it feels like a movie that just needed another pass. Right. Like another pass, maybe from a different writer. Uh, you know, as Hollywood would say, to punch it up. Right. Give it a little bit more. You know, life. But you know, we just don't get a lot. I would have loved to have seen somebody like Lee Wannell try a Silent Hill movie. That mm-hmm. would be awesome. For sure. Because yeah, he could, his he could do it. sensibilities would just fit with that universe so well. But, right. you know, too little, too late. Yeah, I mean, you would have to get somebody involved. I mean, I, I would imagine Wannell would be a guy who's very aware of the series, would probably be willing. But, again, it's it's a matter of sort of getting the right people in the right place. And I don't know if he would be that guy. He seems very interested in doing kind of his own thing now. I mean, I'm sure he's got his own scripts, but I, I think he would be a great choice. If, if Gons can't direct another one or, or doesn't want to direct another one, Wano would be a great choice to, to take the franchise over if he would be willing. 
Um, we've talked a little bit about production design. Um, the plot of this film we spent a lot of time talking about, so I don't want to belabor the point. But needless to say, it does feel like a video game, right? Go here, find a thing. Go here because you found the thing. Find another thing. Go here. Um, you know, there's there's no real through line to it. And my issue was is that Rada Mitchell never really has a clear understanding of what she's trying to do other than I want to find my daughter. But she has no clear method for how her daughter will be found other than I found a picture that referenced a place. That must be where I need to go. Uh, and there is a line that explains it because during the big exposition dump from the, the you know demon girl, she says, you did a good job following my clues. What a wonderful work you've done. And it's like, oh, is that how you're going to justify this like shoddy video game plot is like they were all clues that the dark little girl left for you to lead you to this moment well if that was the case why didn't she just lead you right here right yeah. everybody knew where she was so just Whereas lead her directly here do the same kind of breadcrumb they do exploration they do mm-hmm. but in a video game i expect to be exploring different spaces and, and piecing things together because mm-hmm. it's an interactive experience with a movie it's more why am i watching someone linger between point a and point b (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's it's a very it's just a a difference between the mediums and if it was intended to be the sort of tongue-in-cheek ha 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 this is based on a video game it didn't work right or it didn't it didn't work well enough to justify the structure of, of them getting from point to point and if anything i think that's the the chris de silva journey of I go to Silent Hill, I get the information from Gucci about oh, bad things have happened there, I need to find police reports. Those police reports then lead me to a picture of a girl that looks like my little girl. My little girl came from this orphanage, I need to go find out where my little girl came from. Like, that is the kind of investigative work that I would expect from someone trying to find another human being. So he's doing it in the way that we would expect, and we get that, and then we get you know, Rada Mitchell's Carrie Rose being like, well, if I found a picture of a building of a school, do you guys have a yeah. school? Let's go to the school. And it's like, okay, well maybe, you know, you, you, it, it doesn't even have to be that difficult, right? You say like, you know, my daughter's lost in this town. Where might she go to be safe? Oh, well maybe she'd go to an apartment store. Right. And so, or maybe there's just one place that still has lights on. You're like maybe she went to the lighted store, and inside, inside you know, inside the the store with lights on, she, you know, you you meet Dahlia, and Dahlia's like, all children are drawn to the school on Thursdays, you know, like whatever, and oh, weird <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, well, well, we'll go to the school, maybe that's where she's at, you know, so you you just kind of string things together a little bit more reasonably, and I'm gonna buy it, right, even if you're trying to go for that video game feel. And, and it just, it just doesn't land. And again, if it was meant to be a tongue in, uh, a tongue in cheek thing, eh, okay, but it, it, it doesn't have that effect. It just feels cheap. Um, oh God, what was that phrase? Audiences are always willing to accept a coincidence to get into a situation, but never to get out of one. Yeah. Cause that right? doesn't happen. Cause it doesn't happen. That's not realistic. And this movie is full of surprising and unexpected coincidences that don't really make sense. And, and that for an audience just sitting watching a movie wanting that, which again, do you, does a modern horror audience need it? Maybe, maybe not. But for an audience you know, who wants that cohesive story, it's not going to give them that. And, and at the end of the day, that's probably a higher priority than my tongue-in-cheek, haha, it's a video game reference. You know? 
Um, so script is definitely an issue with this movie. I mean, we've kind of come back to that a bunch of times, but, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if you know about it going in and you're kind of prepared for it, I I think you can kind of move past it fairly easily. Uh, we talked about production design. It's fantastic. This movie looks great. Uh, it is truly horrific in moments. It has cringy. Oh my God. Holy crap. What was that? Uh, in spades. And that is, you know, I've watched a lot of horror movies. It is hard to make me cringe these days. I and generally don't. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's got to be something really off the wall. Um, and there are movies that intentionally try to go those directions to create those those emotions. But you know, in a theatrical released, you know, U.S. co-produced horror film, generally there's not a lot there for me to be like, oh, oh my. Right, it just doesn't happen. Uh, but in this one, we've got at least three, maybe four moments. That's like, whoa, that is that is crazily intense. Um, and so, as as you know, if you're somebody who's into horror and you like that kind of thing, this this is a great movie to watch if you've never seen it because it's it's pretty crazy. I can't say that you'll love the moments in between necessarily, but it it but does I have do enough. I think that the horror, I think the horror elements and the visual style are enough to pull you through those weaker moments. Yeah. Because there has to yeah, be a reason sure. other than it being Silent Hill that I I like watching this movie. I love Silent Hill, but I don't think I'd continue to watch a crappy movie if it didn't have something else going for it. Um, for example, I have never revisited uh, Silent Hill Revelations. Ever. Yeah, I ain't, I ain't watching Revelations for fun anytime soon. That movie That's, is... <sighs> that is um, creatively bankrupt. I don't really need to watch that. Mm-hmm. But this movie, I I keep coming back to it and trying to di- digest it a new way and see something different. Like initially in the theater, I remember being very turned off by Kim Coates' character because I felt like he didn't fit the universe at all. Mm-hmm. But it was in 2006 and I was a dumbass teenager and <laughs> I just wanted to see my video game movie. Right. And I think that was a lot of people's reactions, you know, because that's the core audience that's going to go see this movie. And there are elements, some elements fit really, really well with Silent Hill. Some elements do not fit at all uh, with what you might expect of Silent Hill. Right. And now, you know, upon many, many viewings, Kim Coates' character ends up being my favorite because now I feel like he is, he was the unique thing that I'd like to see more of in Silent Hill. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's cool that he rides that line, too, because he obviously knows, right? I mean, it's revealed, ultimately, that Gucci, as I said, was the guy who was there that night, right? Like, he was the one that pulled Alessa's burning body out of the building. So he's fully aware of what's going on. You know, if he doesn't know about the nightmare world, fine. But he knows the dark, sordid past that has probably led to what's going on now and and he's trying to get the Silva out of it before he gets involved so that he can try and handle it and you really get that feeling from him like the acting is in, uh, on his part is so good that you you feel this protection like hey buddy I'm, I'm trying to get you out of here right like you don't want this you need to leave because this place will kill you right and it's it's a really nice character right and it's one that we really hadn't seen in Silent Hill before the knowledgeable helpful person right like you know it's such a wonderful foil to sybil bennett to have officer gucci where they have they're both very sympathetic to the protagonist that they're with but it manifests in totally different ways where sybil bennett is 
helping to lead Rose Da Silva to the demon. We're going to find your daughter. We're going to make it out of this. You know, do what we have to. And then you have, on the other end, Gucci, who's saying, let's not. <laughs> let's yeah. just, why don't yeah. you get back in your no. car and go home? Go home. If, if they're alive, we'll find them. That's all I can tell you, you know. And it, it, it's it's cool. Like I said, I, I think it, it he, he winds up being a really good character. And, and Sean Bean, I remember feeling like Sean Bean was completely extraneous to this movie, but I actually, I kind of like his role in it now. It still is very jarring to shift from Silent Hill to, to his world, you know, the real world, I guess. But it, I can see how those parts are kind of necessary now in a way that when I was, when I first saw the film and my first couple of rewatches, I was like, why is this even in the movie? Why does this even need to be here? Now I kind of see it a little bit more. I'm like, okay, I see what function he's serving. Theoretically, you could put all this on Rose. You definitely could. But it would require her spending a lot more time figuring things out on her own than having and conversations. She would have to have that disconnect from what's happening. In the drive around. to find her daughter. Yeah. I mean, there there would have to be moments where she sits down and like warlocks out the scene. Mm-hmm. And we can't really have that in a place where people's skin is getting ripped off. <laughs> yeah. I don't see a lot of space for that kind of pontificating. Yeah, like she's, she can't go hang out at the school and look through the school records to find, <laughs> you know, Alessa Gillespie's, you know, school records and stuff. I, mean, I guess she could. But again, what, it, what are we sacrificing to have her do that? And, uh, and how, do we gonna ha- how are we going to have to justify that narratively that she's taking time out of her experience to, to figure this stuff out? So it's it's definitely an issue, right? But but one that you know I, I don't think is insurmountable if you're trying to watch the film. All right, well let's let's uh, hit up our one thing, right? So what is one thing that you think we could change about Silent Hill? One element that if we could just tweak it in this direction, significantly or or mildly, that would would sort of elevate it out of this very conflicted state that we find it in. For me. It would be. Can I just say Roger Avery? Yeah, uh, I mean we can go and do this together because my mine is going to be the script. Yeah, like that's <laughs> right. that is the 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 downfall. Yeah. The movie looks great. It feels great. It feels like Silent Hill. It feels like it's an entry into the series. But then when people start talking, everything just goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, tonally, this is pitch perfect Silent Hill. Like it is absolutely dead on. Uh, even the, I mean the, you know, people complain or one of the people we read complained about the, you know, action exposition, action exposition. But that is part of Silent Hill, right? It is this, like, take you to a moment of, of terror and tension and frustration, and then, oh, the fog's back, right? And, and like, the game actually somehow convinces you that being lost in thick fog and accosted by monsters is somehow better, better. right? Like, um, that is I the mastery of its tension, on the couch. You know? I remember sitting on your futon in your apartment playing Silent Hill 2, Mm-hmm. And we would get to every single door, and you would just start going, "Please be locked! Please be locked!" Please yeah, be locked. no, I I was happy <laughs> to not explore. It was fine. Um, because the, I mean, that's what the game builds is. The unknown is far more terrifying than the known, and and that's true of it's like a sort of core aspect of the human experience for sure. But um, the game is really good at, it, and the movie captures that too really well. Yeah. And the places where it doesn't are entirely on the shoulders of, of the script. 
Right. It's when the script grinds everything to a halt to deliver a piece of dialogue or a line from a character that either isn't necessary or just doesn't work with everything else that's going on. Um, you know, a lot of you know, there's way too many scenes of people praying to deities. Like we get it. Like we know the cult, that's what they do. Um, but like we, do, we don't need that many. Right. And that time could have been spent trying to actually have a conversation with Dahlia. Right. Instead of, you know, hushed tones, run away. Right. Kind of thing. The and little demon exposition scene would have been so much stronger coming from her instead right yeah i mean and in, in really other than its its connections to j-horror and trying to have the creepy little white-faced dark-haired girl um you know that we can put on the poster like her presence in the film is unnecessary right it, it doesn't need to be there it could be implied you can have her running around whatever but she doesn't need to be a speaking character right or a character that delivers exposition don't let Jodel Ferlin talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, I mean, she was young in this movie, man. So I can't, I can't, you know, she's like nine or something. Yeah, I mean, I would have been a shitty child actor, too. And most I, are. I, I mean, like, yeah. you know, what's the old Hollywood adage? Don't work with animals and kids. Like, that's Nobody pretty much. Nobody likes little kids. <laughs> so uh, I think we can hang the, the dangers of this one pretty squarely on the script. Um, it just, it's clunky. It lacks effectiveness. And, and could certainly have used another pass, possibly from a different author, to uh, sort of wrap things up. I will say the title sequences are great. Um, this established a new logo for the Silent Hill series that they used for a while, which is pretty cool. Um, and then the final sequence actually has a bunch of scenes and moments from the games, but rendered out in, in sort of you know CG style that you'd see in a movie. Uh, and, and again, the soundtrack is, is incomparable. Like, I don't think we can say enough about the soundtrack, not to the film, but to the games themselves, because the film is just using those. Um, it's, it's really good. Uh, Yamoka is a, a fantastic songwriter. The sound design for Silent Hill in general is kind of perfect. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always been one of the strongest aspects of the series and one of the ones that elevated them past many of their peers. And uh, something that I, I, I've always appreciated about them is the, the time and care and consideration that they spend making a rich soundscape for that universe. And the film really does capture it. Uh, when that siren hits in, in the first sequence in the alleyway, like it is, you feel it in your bones. Right, like I was listening it to it on my sound system. It's <laughs> yeah, it's super good, and that, and just the air raid siren in general is great. So, um, you know, scripts problems notwithstanding, there's there's a ton to love about this movie. So, uh, I guess let's give it our, our failure piece score and uh, whether or not we would recommend this one as as a, uh, a view or not view kind of thing. Um, so, my percentage score on this one uh, is going to be a little bit lower because I, I do love this movie, but I, I am fully aware of its problems uh it is it is not an easy watch for a bunch of reasons right um so this is more uh, this is about a like a 62 for me on, on failure piece it's it is definitely on the good side of of you know the failure piece scale this is a good film it's better than it gets maligned for by a lot of people especially when you think of it more as a psychological thriller that has some really horrific moments than a more traditional horror film, right? Cause this is not a screeching guitar, you know, or screeching violins horror movie, right? There has some moments like that, but that's not really what's going on here. 
it's much more about trying to disturb you on on several different levels simultaneously. Uh, and I think it succeeds at those. But it has a weak script. The performances are not great, generally speaking. And and there are some some really sort of dull moments that it, the movie just kind of grinds to a halt when it doesn't have to. So a little bit lower for me, but it, it's it's still a recommend. Like I, I especially if you just haven't seen it, and maybe if you don't have much of a connection to Silent Hill, right? If you just walk in and just kind of take it for what it is, uh, I think there's some stuff to enjoy. I would go a little bit higher. I would give it like a seventy, but that's. Mm-hmm mainly because I'm such a huge fan of the games that I can remember 2006 being in that theater seat and and feeling like finally a director captured the universe that I experienced in a game. And that had not happened for me with any game adaptation up until that point. Um, even the ones that I call my favorites were still rough takes and really did not capture the spirit of, you know, the game that I played, <clears throat> you know, even my wait, beloved Mortal wait. Kombat. Are you saying Street Fighter the movie was unsatisfying for you? Well, I do own it. Because <laughs> I, I'm going to give you a chance to walk that back. No, I, no, I understand. That's pretty satisfying. Um, no, it, and it's true. Like, I... Even though I walked out of this movie and I was not like immediately in love, I felt like at the very least it got what Silent Hill was, right? For the most part. And that that made me really happy, right? Because I never really imagined that Silent Hill could do well outside I of the never video game setting. I would see a film of, of Silent Hill. I thought it, there's no way someone could play that game and say, yes, you can make a, a coherent film out of this. And even though there are some incoherent parts to this, I was amazed that it it worked as well as it did. For sure. And I was also impressed that it came out when it did. Um, A lot of video game franchises are getting the movie attention now. They're getting the Hollywood treatment. Games Mm -hmm. themselves are becoming more and more like Hollywood film experiences. And this was before all of that really landed and it still did an excellent job yeah um so you know it won't be winning any any best actor awards but no uh, but the visual style was enough for me that i would put it at a 70 yeah no i i I can totally see that like i said there are things in this movie that you know you've never seen before right they are they are original even if you're a fan of the games you've never seen some of this stuff before and that in and of itself is, is pretty remarkable it's, it's it's hard to surprise and shock a modern film goer especially you know one like myself that I, I watch a lot of stuff like I've got a ton of experience and a ton of background and and it's it's hard to to show me something and have me go wow wow and this movie has a couple of those moments and even that in of itself is is enough I think uh, all right, very cool. So a recommend from you and a recommend from me. I think Silent Hill is certainly worth your time if you've never seen it. Definitely track it down in high definition in a way that you can enjoy it. There are a lot of inky blacks. You know, Put it on a good screen, watch it with the lights off, and uh, I think you'll have a pretty good time. Uh, so uh, we've got to wrap this up. We're just passing three hours. My God. Um, <laughs> but uh, So where we can uh, we find you on social media? You can find me at 
Baskinator on Twitter or The Baskinator on Instagram, and my Instagram is fire. Nice. Uh, I'm best place to find me is at T Baskin on Twitter. Uh, happy to uh, get a follow and uh, a follow back. Uh, you can also reach us together uh, at uh, failurepeace at gmail.com. Uh, that's our, our podcast email. And then on Twitter, we do have one set up uh, simply called F Peace Theater uh, or at F Peace Theater. So you can get a hold of us there too. Uh, well, once again, thanks so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this incredibly long conversation about a movie that it, uh, we've exceeded its runtime substantially in talking <laughs> about it. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. We certainly enjoyed talking about it for you. And uh, we will see you next time. Thank you very much.